Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Tech Talks. You are chopping it up with Chuck. I'm the editor-in-chief of Cannabis and Tech Today, and we are very excited. We're bringing you, we always bring you the great guests, and we've got with us today Chris Fontes from Trojan Horse Cannabis. Chris, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Chuck? I'm doing good, man. I'm excited to talk to you. It was great to see you at MJ Biz. Um, what a, uh, you know, before we get into it, how was MJ Biz for you? It, it was phenomenal. Uh, I, I could not believe the scope this year, even compared to the last MJ Biz. Uh, I know there's a lot of pent up um, uh, desire to be back on the show floor. A lot of people were excited to travel again and, and sort of rub elbows with their compatriots in the industry. And it showed uh, the yeah. floor packed constantly. It was a never ending uh, sea of folks walking by our booth or talking to us. And uh, it was huge. I, it's the, I believe it's the biggest MJ BizCon they've had by probably 30%. That's what I was wondering. I, I thought, you know, just going in that maybe, you know, 20,000, 25,000. I talked to somebody last night and they said that they think it was like 40,000 plus. Uh, did they release those numbers? Is that right? I, I haven't seen them yet, so I couldn't speak to that. But it certainly, it certainly felt like that. It did. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Shout out to was was slammed shoulder to shoulder almost the whole time. I, I agree, man. Shout out to MJ Biz. They yeah. they really had to step up, and and I feel like they did. Uh, you know, they even had to deal with MJ Unpacked. You know, lots of different uh, kind of competing events and stuff like that. But overall, I think for the industry, it was a great event. It was great to get everybody back together. And uh, let's go ahead and let's start talking about uh, Trojan Horse. Let's talk about you. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about the wave of Delta 9 hemp products, uh, CBD, what's going on with that. You know, I think this is going to be a cool, a cool chat for our audience. And uh, if you don't mind, just tell the audience a little bit about your background, you know, who you are. Uh, and what exactly is Trojan Horse Cannabis? Yeah, certainly. So uh, I have a background before being in the cannabis space. Um, uh, well, let me rephrase that. Before being in the newly regulated cannabis space, um, I was software engineer and entrepreneur um, and functioned as direct everything from like operations, CTO, those sorts of roles in, in various types of companies some very highly regulated, some new and unregulated. So it gave me a lot of experience to jump into a difficultly regulated market yeah. uh, with a lot of complicated gray areas and contradictory uh, regulations and laws. Um, so I had, I had a bunch of experience in those types of spaces before I jumped into the regulated space. And uh, my first foray really was back in 2018 um, on the hemp side of, of the regulations. And uh, at the time, it was really dangerous and difficult to uh, purchase inputs for product manufacturing. You wanted to buy CBD isolate, there was a 50-50 chance you were going to get powdered sugar when it showed up to your door. And uh, it was rough. So we, I, I identified that issue um, with my software experience and operations and logistics background. We built the Hemp Exchange, uh, which for a time was the largest marketplace uh, of vetted products um, in the supply chain. And ran that for some time, exited out of that, launched Project Hemp Flower. Uh, I saw a similar safety and reliability need in the hemp flower consumer market um, and, and similar problems with farmers where they didn't know where to sell their product, just like the hemp exchange. Yeah. And so we, we figured out if we can find really quality flower 
that we vet, we send for full panels ourselves. So we know it's clean and not, you know, riddled with lead and arsenic and cadmium and all the other things you find typically. Yeah. Um, and it's below the Delta nine limit. So it's legal to ship. Um, we can help market these farms for them and do the third party logistics of fulfillment because farmers don't have time to bag grams and eighths and ounces and ship it to folks. So we did that for some time. That's still running today. Uh, go check out projecthempflower.com if you're a hemp flower consumer or you like mixing your hemp flower, uh, CBD flower with your THC flower. Uh, and then, you know, the, the Delta wave, Delta eight wave came and uh, we, we considered getting in that space uh, for in Project Hemp Flower and adding some Delta eight sprayed flower, but it just didn't feel right to me. Yeah. Uh, and then later, uh, with all my connections, I made a hemp exchange with various labs and, and chemists and scientists in the space and having conversations with them. I didn't feel comfortable with the state of Delta-8 to put that into the consumer market. Uh, so I went back to an old idea I had when I was studying regulations in, in the early hemp days about uh, making a hemp-derived uh, regular THC Delta-9 edible uh, that's dosed just like it would be at a dispensary, but staying underneath that 0.3 uh, marker. So that's Trojan Horse Cannabis. Um, we didn't want to push it out too fast, too soon in the space. We didn't want to freak the industry out. Uh, but Delta 8 uh, did a good job of sort of clearing the way for setting, resetting expectations of what you can do with hemp. Yeah. Uh, and so we, we launched our product. It's uh, 10 milligrams of THC and 100 milligrams of CBD in a 10 to 1 ratio. And it's a uh, average is like 0.2% THC. It's all hemp derived. It's non-isomerized or synthesized. It's naturally phyto created. And we can ship it through the mail. In fact, we've gotten approval from the USPS to be on their white list uh, as an approved CBD vendor. Um, we're approved in the state of Utah, the state of Iowa. We're working on Louisiana right now. We already have one product there. We're trying to get our gummies in that space. New York, uh, working with the regulators in Florida to be compliant there. And it's in that space, Colorado. Um, so we're we're pretty excited about this. And it's a it's a new thing that's going to blow up in the industry. And, and if you don't haven't heard about it yet, you're going to start seeing it everywhere. Dude, it's great because you've got that kind of technical background, but that entrepreneurial hustle. And it's like you're always finding that spot where there's like a pain point in the industry and you're finding a way to, uh, you know, to basically help out. I mean, that's that's what great entrepreneurs do. Right. You're bringing technology and innovation into a space where they need solutions and and the consumers, you know, uh, what they're asking for is changing. And, you know, what their perception is of what's available is is really important. And um, it, it just seems like you're in a really good spot right now. Yeah, thank you for that. It's it's part of my nature to want to help people. Yeah. And if I can if I can focus that desire into entrepreneurship, that's always the the, the Venn diagram of awesome for me. Um, and so I like helping people. I like providing a service that's legitimately bringing value to people's lives, not just not just a cash grab. Um, I look at all the businesses I start as a marathon, not a sprint. I mean, you have to make money to stay in business. You have to grow and scale, but uh, I have to do so in a manner where I'm bringing real value to people and doing so in an ethical manner. And uh, whenever I see an opportunity like that, I just, I can't let it go. It's uh, almost like an OCD, like it'll just bother me unless I do it. So I just have to do it. I don't even have a choice. So uh, do, when you go in to start a business, do you, I've heard about some people, they, they kind of reverse engineer it. They go in to starting this business, you know, with an idea of solving a problem or whatever, but they go into it sort of like with the idea of selling it or moving on eventually other business owners like go in and they don't have any kind of exit plan or anything at all. They just go in and do it. Uh, which, which camp do you kind of fall into? 
So if I had to just say either or, it's definitely the, the latter where I, I don't have an exit plan, but it's a, it's a little bit simplified to say it that way. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if, if, you're, if your viewers are familiar with uh, uh, the Avengers Endgame movie where Doctor Strange you know, goes into the future and looks at 400 million different possibilities to understand the outcomes of every action and every possibility. My brain sort of works like that naturally. Yeah. So I'm constantly thinking, what are the 12 different possibilities here? How do I act in a manner that gives me the greatest possibility of success in the future for most of those scenarios? And I just move in that space comfortable with, hey, maybe it's A, maybe it's B, maybe it's Z, but either way, I'm comfortable with all of them. And I'm going to let the market and the direction of the growth dictate which path we, we move toward. So it's not that I don't plan, yeah, but I yeah. plan in concrete because uh, it's like Mike Tyson says, right? Everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the face. Yeah, and that's yeah. entrepreneurship is constantly being punched and you've got to be able to, to be nimble and adjust. So we got a video game reference, Mike Tyson's punch out. We got an Avengers reference already, dude. I like where this is going. Um, yeah. And, and, and for our audience that isn't familiar, you know, or they're, or they're not really sure, can you, can you kind of just briefly speak to the sort of the evolution of hemp where we've gone from CBD to Delta eight to Delta nine, what is the difference kind of, you know, so that everybody's following along here with what we're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when the hemp industry really kicked off in any tangible way in the U.S. back in 2014, it was originally a, a, a pilot program uh, excluded carve out for states to do educational research, really with the intent of figuring out fiber and seed production instead of bringing it in from overseas. Let's do it domestically. Um, and right around that same time, just before, actually, uh, Charlotte's Web and a couple others had figured out how to do high CBD strains of, of cannabis. And what started as a fiber program quickly turned into a CBD program. I mean, like really, really fast. You know, the, the innovators in the research space and, and the people that got those opportunities were like, yeah, fiber is great, but uh, hemp flour is way more profitable. There's a way bigger market here uh, for the time being. I actually think the fiber market's way bigger but it's a harder haul and it's going to take longer to get there where CBD was, Oh, we can do this today. Yeah. We don't yeah. need a decade's worth of infrastructure and supply chain to build out. We can do this literally today. Um, so anyway, it became a CBD uh, market overnight. And by 2018, when it was signed into law, it was pretty much accepted that that's what the industry was at the, at the time as a CBD industry, not a hemp fiber industry. Yeah. And uh, short version C C CBD had a ton of attention. It was blowing up. New Frontier data was projecting just gains over gains over gains. Everyone was gung ho. Farmers kind of like Bitcoin. It was kind of like the Bitcoin of, uh, you know, of, of the cannabis world. Like it just was on the scene and everybody was talking about it and it was everywhere. And nobody yeah. was really sure how it was going to end up. I wrote an article back in the hemp exchange days saying everyone talks about marijuana being the green rush, but it's really hemp right now. And at the time it was, people were jumping in like crazy. Then the FDA came in and said, uh, cool story. You can't put CBD in foods or dietary supplements. Thus I have spoken. And that was it. And all of the big players that were expected to enter the space, the Pepsis, the GW Pharma's, the, or the, or the, uh, uh, all those folks yeah. that were going to jump in. And then they're like, Whoa, we're not willing to piss off the FDA with our entire company's line of business. We're going to sit on the sidelines till this shakes out. And so what happened was incredible supply created for a demand that never showed. 
and the market crashed. And anyone that's been in the hemp space in the last couple of years knows exactly what I'm talking about. Prices went to the floor. Uh, we got CBD isolate by the millions of kilos just laying around that can't move. And when you take uh, innovative, risk-friendly individuals and put them in a situation where they have mass quantities of product and no market for it, they get creative, right? It's it's a natural- I love where this is going. I love it. American, right? You, yeah. You're like, hey, I'll figure it out. I got we are a resourceful industry. These are resourceful people. They're going to bounce back every time. And mm-hmm. that's exactly what happened with Delta 8. So some we knew about Delta 8 before. It wasn't brand new in the last two years, but it was not well known. Mm-hmm. And some, some chemists um, on some very popular forums started chatting about, what if we did an isomerization? What if we catalyze CBD isolate into Delta 8? How would that look? Can we build an SOP that's consistent and works? And so... A bunch of guys got together with the nothing but time on their hands. They had no sales and they were looking at deadlines and going, let's do it. So they took CBD isolate and put it through its paces to convert uh, with acid, heat and time to convert into Delta 8 and then started testing it out on the market and saying like, hey, eat these gummies. Tell me what happens. And uh, and they did. And people love Delta 8. And so yeah. it became this loophole or, or it became this process of. There's a lot of states that don't have recreational marijuana yet. And a lot of people like recreational marijuana, whether for medicinal or recreational social reasons, either way, and they don't have access to it. And uh, they decided to start picking up D8 and giving it a shot once they caught on. Um, and it spread like wildfire. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, fast forward to today, there's some safety concerns with Delta 8. I won't say Delta 8 inherently is, there's nothing wrong with the molecule. Yeah. I don't mind the industry. I have big concerns with the processes around Delta 8 manufacturing and the brands that are bringing stuff to market that's not fully remediated, tested, or safe. Um, big problem, and it's and it's frustrating states. So a lot of states stepped in and said, hey, you can't do Delta 8. Uh, it's unsafe. We've tested it. It's often way hot over the Delta 9 limit. There's always unknown isomers and chemicals and stuff in there that we don't know what it does to people. So we're shutting it down. And... Uh, so now that's what we're seeing. We're in the middle of that impact. We have, I think, 22 states uh, that have basically banned Delta 8 production or possession or sales within their state lines. I think, I think Colorado. I think Colorado is one of those. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. can't have Delta 8 here at all. Um, and, uh, you know, some people argue it's the cannabis industry that's anti-Delta, the marijuana industry that's mm-hmm. taking their margins. I think there's some truth to that in some states. Um, but regardless if that's true or not, there are legitimate safety concerns with a lot of the products out there. If you're, if you're listening now and you're a Delta 8 fan, I really encourage you to do some extra due diligence on where you're sourcing your product from and learn about their processes. And if they don't share a lot about how they do it, uh, they're probably not doing a great job. If yeah. they're like, oh, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you about all the extra steps, dollars, and time we put into our process to make it safe. That's probably a quality vendor that I'd be more comfortable with. Um, so yeah, states jumped in. They're furious. They started locking it down. And then that's where I went, hey, what about full spectrum? Yeah. Right. No one's done the math. And, you know, this is this is my old story here of, of uh, that I alluded to earlier. No one's done the math to figure out how much can you get with 0.3, right? What what does it take to get 0.3 or to get 10 milligrams, a normal dispensary dose of THC into a hemp product and still have it be below 0.3 percent? Yeah. And the, the answer shocks everyone. I hear people go, oh, you're going to need 
a cake the size of this building to get that much or you know just no one knows the math and it's because it's metric and we don't do metric over here so <laughs> grams to milligrams and kilograms and it just doesn't we don't do it naturally and so i did the math and it turns out it's only 3.33 you round up because it's three indefinite 3.34 grams of dry weight to hit 10 milligrams and be exactly at 0.3 percent so that's not that big yeah, uh, it's it just it just isn't. I mean, I I don't have one actually on my desk. I should have had one, but our our gummies come in at five five grams dry weight, five and a half wet, meaning counting moisture content, and so we can actually put fifteen milligrams into our product and have it still be below the limit. But we like to formulate to 0.2 because yeah. in the industry are so bad. Law enforcement tests are so bad. Uh, we want a lot of headspace, but we figured this out and started pushing it, and uh, now we have competitors. In the interest of transparency and safety, we basically gave the playbook right on our website. Oh, you want to know how to do what we do? Here's how we do it. And we did that because we want uh, to be honest with our consumers and let them know what's going on and, and you know, show that this is a legal thing. It's actually totally normal. Um, and because of that, we gave the playbook to competitors. So now we have competitors in the space. And, and I don't mind it. Competition's good. Um, but it's it's definitely taking over because it's a lot harder of a thing to shut down because you can't argue the safety concern like you can with Delta 8. It's not some new thing. We've been selling full spectrum CBD products since 2014. Yeah. And it's a lot harder to uh, to get rid of as well because it's just like a full spectrum tincture, just in a different format and intentionally formulated. Yeah, man, I, I got to tell you, dude, Delta 8 came on the scene and we were like, you know, what is this? Uh, you know, as as as, uh, you know, somebody who's in the industry, a consumer and somebody who's you know part of the media. We're like, hey, let's check this out. And uh, I'm not here at all to bash Delta 8 or anything else. I think it kind of served its purpose and maybe it's like a, you know, transitionary thing or whatever. But it did feel different. Like when I did it, you know, it wasn't exactly the enjoyable experience that I normally have with, uh, and again, not, not trying to bash it or anything. It just felt different. And it was to me a little more like anxiety, kind of like sketchy, you know, kind of feeling for me, as opposed to where, when I've got, you know, my good products, uh, uh, gummies or edibles or whatever, I feel like I kind of know what to expect there. And I feel like it's sort of like the dosage or the experience was a little, um, more consistent. So, you know, it was just an interesting time because you're right. It was this gray area and it's people being resourceful and science and, you know, it's kind of open source and probably on Reddit and stuff like that. You know, they're like, Hey, what do we do? Um, but it was really cool. Like it was, it was, it had its moment, like in the sun, this was like the go-to and everybody was talking about it and everybody was doing it. 100%. And I think a lot of the reasons you had varied experience. So we, we heard this a lot when we were looking at Delta 8 for ourselves was some people would say, I take 50 milligrams of one product and I feel really good. I take 50 milligrams of another product. And I don't feel anything. Yeah. And why is there such variability with the same milligrams? And the, the short version is not to get too, too in the weeds on this, but when Delta 8 first came on the scene, we didn't have any really great SOPs for testing Delta 8. Right. And so when we sent it to a lab to test it, uh, the peaks on the chromatogram weren't separated. And so they were shouldering. And so the lab had to draw a line in the sand in that shoulder and be like, how much of this is Delta eight and how much of this is Delta nine. Mm -hmm. And uh, by doing so they were unintentionally with the best tools they had accidentally uh, under reporting Delta nine and over reporting Delta eight numbers. So for example, we grabbed a distillate, a D eight, D eight distillate off of yeah. a regular consumer website as a test 
And it, they, they're like, it's 90% Delta-8, no Delta-9 detectable. We sent it to our lab, uh, Think20, highly recommend those guys for super, super accurate COAs. Um, we sent it to them and it came out over 30% Delta-9. Well, yeah, of course you like that distillate. It's 30% Delta-9. Um, and so that happens in gummies too. You, you think yeah. you're getting 50 milligrams of D8 when you're really getting 20 milligrams of D9 and 30 milligrams of D8. And so it's a very different experience than the next one that's two milligrams of D9 and 48 of D8. And, uh, and it was just the, the state of the industry. We didn't know how to test better. Oh, we do now. Yeah. If, if having a lab that's blending their peaks and they're shouldering into each other with D8 and D9, you need a different lab. Because uh, we get good separation these days, we we know the SOPs now, and it's it's incumbent upon the producer to do that. Dude, this is this is fascinating. I, I feel like I could talk to you all day, but we do got to pay the bills here, so we're gonna take a quick break. Uh, we're gonna have a, a a little commercial in here, and then we're gonna pop right back in. I want to talk to you a little bit more about the future, where you see things going, and I want to dive into you know what it takes to build a brand and and talk a little bit about just making it in the industry. I think that would be very valuable for our audience. So we are here with Chris Fontis, Trojan Horse Cannabis, and we'll be right back after this short break. Today's episode of Cannabis and Tech Talks is brought to you by Enlighten. Enlighten helps companies in the cannabis space better understand, navigate, and reach customers throughout the entire customer journey. Enlighten's team of technologists, data analysts, and marketing professionals provide technology solutions and marketing services so clients can identify, attract, and retain new customers and unlock new opportunities that will increase profitability and help them gain competitive advantages in the market. Enlighten also supports small and emerging brands in the market with a simple and effective self-service platform called AdSuite. To learn more about Enlighten and everything they have to offer, go to getenlightened.io. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Cannabis Tech Talks. You are chopping it up with Chuck and Chris Fontes from Trojan Horse Cannabis. And this has been a fascinating talk here. Um, Chris, what, what do you see as kind of like the future outlook for looking forward into cannabis? You know, maybe even like a homogenization of the hemp and cannabis market. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I think it's inevitable. I mean, you know, going back to my, my Dr. Strange analogy earlier, there's a million ways this could go and only really bet money on it. Uh, but if you're in the space, you sort of are betting money on it. And if you're going to do it anyway, uh, do your research. And so my opinion is that eventually we'll have a complete homogenization of the two industries. In 30 years time, it doesn't make sense. I don't see a future where we look back and go, we still have a hemp industry and a marijuana industry and they're separate and they run on separate paths and they're regulated completely differently by different entities when it's the same plant, really. Mm -hmm. And I think the, we'll say the, the, the medical chemotypes of hemp or the, the cannabinoid, high cannabinoid producing uh, chemotypes of hemp uh, that we see today, they are the same plant as, as what you see in the marijuana space. It's just they produce a different cannabinoid profile. And there's no reason thinking long term with regulatory issues being sorted out that one person can grow high, high THC and one person can't. It, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so I think in, in, you know, products like Delta 8, products like mine, we're sort of highlighting uh, the absurdity of it all. Um, and, you know, and my, my, my job at Trojan Horse isn't to rub anything in regulators' faces. It's not a middle finger to the DEA. That's not what we're about. Um, it's more about the social stigma of, well, I can't touch that because that's marijuana, but I'll try that because it's CBD. Well, it's all cannabinoids. Yeah. Uh, you're 
THC in full spectrum products, and you can get the same dosage in full spectrum products that you can on the other side of the plant. And so let's let's make regulations that make sense for everyone. And uh, actually, this is a really good platform to bring up this point. And we get pushback from from the marijuana industry uh, because they don't love the fact that hemp gets to operate in this way less regulated space. They're very frustrated. And I get it. I totally sympathize. I think the safety regulations that are involved in marijuana, totally reasonable. The overtaxation and the, oh, you can only buy two grams a day and patient caps and all these other things that are, they're way overkill. And it's frustrating as an operator. You've got, you've got 280E you have to deal with. You've got to keep your books separate for other things. It's, it's a nightmare. You're dealing with cash only. I get it. It's super frustrating. But if you're a cannabis executive or a marijuana executive and you're watching this right now, I, I beg you to consider the option instead of squashing hemp and bringing all of hemp products into your industry that you're frustrated with. Why don't you let hemp prove that a lighter regulation model actually works and is safe and convince the regulators to go the other way? Let's bring T high THC products into a similar regulated space like hemp. I'm fine with age caps. I'm fine with uh, child resistant packaging. I'm fine with milligram caps. Um, but but let's instead of squashing that option, let's convert the other industry our way. And if we work together, we can actually achieve that. And I think uh, I think that's going to happen. It's going to homogenize. I'd rather homogenize closer to what hemp is doing right now than what marijuana is doing right now. Dude, I swear we should charge people for this podcast because you are dropping so much knowledge. I am picking up what you are putting down. This makes a lot of sense. I like common sense. And a lot of times in the cannabis industry, <laughs> there's not a lot of common sense, you know, like, like you said, the regulations, the taxation, the, you know, everything like that. So that makes a lot of sense. It's kind of like, you know, a uh, uh, rising tide lifts all boats. Uh, maybe there shouldn't be this adversarial relationship between hemp and, and THC. And maybe like you said, a little more collaboration, a little more back and forth. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think it's it just to me, like you said, common sense. If I hate the situation I'm in, and I see someone in a better situation and they're doing better than I am because of that situation. Why would I squash them and stay in the situation I'm in when I could say, Hey, how do we get over there? Yeah. We all shift that way. And I think, I think it can be done. I think it could be done reasonably well if we get uh, these two industries to work together. And that's, that's sort of the goal of my product is I, I'm writing the middle. Someone's like, were you a marijuana product or you a hemp product? And I'm like, well, are you a consumer or are you a regulator? Right? Because from the consumption standpoint, it's really no different than walking into a dispensary and buying an ingestible. Yeah. Regulation standpoint, it's completely different. And if we can get all of these spaces to operate in the same way, and I'm told, again, totally for safe regulations. Sure. I think we need GMP standards. I think we need accuracy and labeling. I think if there's one milligram of CBC in there, you should be putting on the label so people know what they're ingesting. Um, I'm all for that stuff. So let's focus on a regulatory pathway for the safe consumption of all cannabinoids for adults and in a, in a manner that isn't business crippling. Um, I don't understand why we do anything different. Yeah, yeah. And, and can you speak to about like, what does it take to build a brand? This is a crowded space. There's a lot of moving parts, you know, for the people that are listening right now. Um, how, how do you build a brand that stands out in a, uh, you know, sometimes saturated market? Yeah, that's a great question. It's tricky. And um, 
I, I think what people try to do so many times is they want to build a brand with mass market appeal. Mm-hmm. We're going to come out and we want to be all over the country and everybody's face. We're the next coolest big thing. And sometimes, sometimes you have the technology or innovation to back that up. Um, you know, I, I don't like to have a big head about this, but I think our product sort of sort of fits that niche where, wow, that is sort of new. You should go na- national attention. Um, but often, especially in the CBD space, and, and even really in the in the uh, marijuana systems, uh, state by state, it's a lot of more of the same. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and a lot of people, this is this is wild in the CBD space. I don't think it's as bad in the THC space of claims of like we've got the new proprietary, more bioavailable, your, your life's going to be better product that nobody else has. And you talk to them, you're like, this is the same thing, man. I've seen this product for 10 years. Like it's the same thing everybody else has. And instead of trying to hype up your product as something that's totally different when, when you kind of know it's not, um, focus on a brand that speaks to a consumer niche that you know you can win. Yeah. Be a little bit more focused. I'd rather create a, a CBD product that is branded and targeted to golfers mm-hmm. and, and get that product in golf shops all across the country instead of trying to create a CBD brand right now that I'm trying to get into Walgreens or Walmart and do big box mass saturation. You're going to be more profitable. It's, it's, it's easier, frankly. It takes less capital and it's an easier market to win. I, I've always loved the analogy of, Take a small market you know you can win and win it. And when yeah. you've won that, now you can identify the next market because now you have more buying power, you have more capital, you have more resources, and you could scale up market by market. Maybe it's a different brand. Maybe your brand takes a different version, a sub-brand and branches yeah. out. But do you know, you know what's crazy? You know what's crazy is that model that you're talking about is the exact identical model for magazines right now. You know, we're cannabis and tech today. We're a magazine. Um, you know, we've got a huge digital presence, but we're still a $10 magazine. We're a niche magazine that you can get at, you know, Barnes and Nobles. You can get at events like MJ Biz. And here's the deal. Last year, uh, 2021, I think 68 print magazines were launched. Yeah. People would be like, what the hell? Who's still buying magazines? Who's reading yeah. magazines? It's because they're going to niche audiences. They yeah. have a built-in niche. And so when you talk about that with the golfers, that's super smart because now you've got this niche and you're connecting. There can be an emotional connection between the brand and that group. And that's why magazines that are successful now, Cannabis and Tech Today is a niche magazine, right? Cat Fancy is a niche magazine, right? For people that dig cats. And you, the, the big mainstream magazines are trying to be everything to everyone. They don't make Sports Illustrated anymore. You know, I don't even know if they print Time Magazine anymore. I don't know if they print Newsweek. They were trying to be, like you said, in the Walgreens, you know, and everything like that. No, man, it's the niche. Niche is the way forward uh, on the media side. And it sounds like what you're saying. I'm building a brand side here in the uh, uh, in this industry. Yeah. And this is the way the entire world is. It's not unique to our industry. The entire world is moving this way. Think about, you know, I'm not going to assume your age here, but I think we're probably similarly aged. Think about when you were a kid, right? Yeah. New Ninja Turtle toy came out. You got it and all your friends got it and you all knew about it. New movie came out. Everybody saw it. New Nintendo game came out. Everybody had it. Everyone, Everyone was doing the same thing that everyone else was doing because there was only one content delivery system which was mainstream media. You had, you had television, you had radio, you had newspapers and magazine ads, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Now that's not the case. 
most people, there's no mass market anymore. It just isn't a thing. Um, everything is diversifying into smaller niches. Population is growing faster because of the internet. The small niches can get their content produced. So mm -hmm. people that like, I may have watched a sitcom in 1992 because it's what everybody watched. It was the only thing on, but I didn't really love it, but it was the only option. Yeah. Now I can watch a hyper-focused niche TV show on YouTube that speaks to me. It's more about what I like. And maybe it's only me and 400 other people that like this, but I love the hell out of it. And I'm not going to watch anything else. And that's happening across the board. So when now when someone's like, oh, did you see this show on Netflix or did you see this movie? Half the time they're like, oh, no, I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. Right? My kids are bringing me stuff all the time. They're like, oh, this new game came out on such and such platform and such and such Twitch streamer. I'm like, I don't even know who these people are because that's outside of my uh, sphere of media influence yeah. and, and uh, social circles. And so everything's becoming more diversified and it's a fool's errand to try to hit everyone because no one is succeeding at this. If, if the huge broadcasters yeah. of the last 50 years can't pull this off, you're not going to do it with a new CBD brand either. You're just yeah. not. So focus down on a target demographic that you know you have interest, you know how to get their attention, you know where those audiences exist, and then go focus on that market and create a brand that speaks to those consumers. I always say, keep put the consumer first. If you focus on a one-to-one -one consumer relationship and making their specific experience a, a good one, yeah, that's how you build a brand that stands out. That's how you build a brand that gets adoption. Wow, that's great, man. That's good. You're dropping jewels here. Uh, so what, uh, you know, what else do you think? Just a couple more points, because, you know, we're going to run out of time here. But, you know, what else do you think is really super important uh, if you want to make it in this industry? You know, a couple things you would say, it's imperative, it's not a should, it's a must. Uh, one, uh, self-efficacy. You have to have the grit and determination to be punched in the face repeatedly. And it never really stops. You think like, oh, when I get to that next step or when I make X amount of revenue on a monthly basis or when I hire that one more person, maybe that punch doesn't hit you in the face anymore, but there's one right behind it. That is what building a business is. Um, I heard a great, a great uh, quote recently from a, a fellow in the industry, and he said, business is just solving a series of obstacles. Hmm. That's what it is by definition. You are always going to have obstacles that you always have to conquer. And that's what makes you a successful business. When you start laying over and letting the obstacles consume you and it's just too much for you to handle, you're not going to make it because it never ends. It just doesn't. Um, every, every step of growth comes with a new set of issues that you need to be resilient against. So grit and determination. Mm -hmm. to humbleness. Humbleness. Um, there are times, and I'm, I'm generally pretty humble. I try not to be pompous, but I have a lot of experience and a lot of um, insight into this space and a lot of good connections. And, and there are times when I apply for a keynote somewhere and I don't get it. And I'm like, how could you not want to hear me talk right now? I've got all this information I want to share. And then I have to remember, it's because there's a billion other people out there that also are talented and it's okay. I don't have to win everything. Yeah. And there's, there are people that know more than me and I, and I look to them and I value their opinions greatly. And so humbleness of accepting, I'm, I'm, I know what I know. And even if uh, someone doesn't think I know it, that's okay. That, then just move forward. Um, and then the third thing is not really common in business. It's not really a common business strategy. People don't talk about it a lot, but legitimate kindness and empathy, mm -hmm. actually caring for the people you're working with, caring for the industry you're in, caring for your consumer that's required. Now you can make a bunch of business uh, or a bunch of business decisions that lead you to a lot of wealth 
in a shortcut scenario uh, by not taking that into consideration. But you might not sleep well at night. People might not like you for it. And, and frankly, it's just not a great way to do business. But if you keep that empathy, it keeps you grounded in reality. It keeps, it's not just about the money, it's about the people. And if you can keep that focus, you're more likely to have a successful business. Dude, I, I love that. I, I have been saying for a long time, I think empathy is a superpower, right? Like, I mean, if you have empathy, man, that is going to take you a long ways because you genuinely, like you said, you care. You care about the people you work with. You care about the industry, you know, and, and at the end of the day, I think somewhere that ties in with you just being a good person. And that, and that you know, that is, uh, that's, that's, I think, understated today. You know, it's not just slash and burn farming. It's not just, you know, harvesting profits. It's, it's what are you building, you know, with your business, with your brand, both internally and externally? Is it something you can be proud of? Is it something that makes people want to work for your company, makes people want to work with you, you know, and your brand? And, and I'm just, I'm so glad you said that because that is something that, you know, I don't think they teach at Harvard Business School. You know, I think that's just something that, someone like you is is bringing to the forefront and I'm, I'm glad you did yeah thank you yeah i, I agree 100 it's all it's all about the human connection mm-hmm. especially in today's day and age we kind of touched on earlier about the market not being mass anymore and it's splitting out into niches a lot of the people that are still trying to hit mass market appeal have very depersonalized because everything's become so segmented the only way to really reach everyone is to reach no one mm-hmm. right but you have this very non-personal uh non-conforming stance on things it's uh, I had a problem with my software, so I sent an email and I got one a week later. There's no customer service line. Or my internet went down and it takes two days to get someone on the phone to figure out how to fix it. It's those sites, so those sorts of experiences that are becoming more common and it's making people more frustrated. So when you come in as a human interacting with another human saying, hey, I answered the phone when you called. I'm sorry about your problem. I'm going to prioritize this and take care of you right away. And if you have any questions on the way, you can call me back. I'm here for you. That is not normal anymore. And when you create something like that, you're creating a real human connection with another person. And they're going to put value over human connection over yeah. the culture every day. I, a thousand percent. I always, I always think about like, like brands, you know, uh, uh, you know, brick and mortar obviously is going through all kinds of issues right now. But if you think of a place like Costco or you think of a place like Nordstrom, you know, like those, those are those kind of places where like, you can take something back. They do not give you crap. You know, they're not going to give you shit. You really truly have a experience as a customer that makes me say, I have no reason to go to Macy's, right? I know if I go to Nordstrom's, they got me, you know, it's going to be a great experience. And so that's really, that's a really good point, you know, is kind of getting back to taking care of the customer, taking care of your clients and, and you know, acting like you give a shit. Yeah. 100% agree. So where, where did you, I got to ask you this, and then we're going to, you know, have you tell people where they can find out more about you and where they can get, you know, Trojan horse cannabis. Where did you get the name? Oh man. So (laughs) great question. And I, and I, I love this story. So I was trying to figure out how to market a product that had 10 milligrams of THC, a hundred milligrams of CBD per gummy without falling victim to the normal cannabis marketing of like, you know, oh man, this shit's going to get you high. Like that wasn't the point. I didn't yeah. want to just push, you know, this, uh, this aggressive marketing campaign about how high you can get off the product. Cause that's not what we're really all about. People use it for that. Good for them. Um, but that's our, our market more is bringing THC in a manner that could help people with their daily lives. Mm-hmm. 
things I can't say because of FDA and FTC restrictions, but I think everyone on the call probably knows what I'm saying. We, we wanted to bring that to those people and give them access when they were literally living in a state where they had no access or a ge geography they had no access. So I wanted to bring that to them, but I, I, I didn't also want to subdue the fact that it had 10 milligrams of THC because what I didn't want is grandma picking up, uh, oh, I could take 100 milligrams of CBD, that'll help with my arthritis, 10 milligrams of THC for the first time and get blasted and get behind the wheel of a car and hurt herself or somebody right. else who didn't know any better. Yeah. Um, so how do you advertise THC without advertise, advertising getting high or, or THC. And so Trojan horse sort of fit that niche of it, it's, it's slightly aggressive. It explains, it's a little bit of a aggressive branding, but it also alludes there's more to this story than just the horse, right? There's something inside of this product that is unique and significant. And so for me, it really, it really harmonized those dichotomies that I was trying to figure out. Um, and then Trojan Horse Cannabis also is an acronym for THC, which was sort of a bonus, a subliminal deal there. Dude, um, marketing. So yeah, that's how we came up with it. Dude, that's a great name. I, I love that little, little story by there. And it seems like uh, whenever we have people on this show, when I ask them, you know, how did you get your name? They kind of like, their eyes light up and they always have a really cool story behind it. So now I appreciate you sharing that. So let our audience know, where can they find out more about Trojan horse cannabis, THC? Uh, how can they find, how can they talk to you? Seriously, dude, one of the smartest guys I've ever talked to. Here's where you go ahead and give your shout outs and uh, tell people how they can get in touch with you. Yeah, thank you. So uh, if you're interested in Trojan horse cannabis or Delta nine products that could be shipped to your door legally or sold in markets where full spectrum can be sold, trojanhorsecannabis.com. All of our contact information is there. We spill our playbook on how we do what we do. Uh, so you can do all your research. You'll find a ton of information there, our legal opinion, et cetera. Trojanhorsecannabis.com. Uh, follow us on Instagram. Uh, follow us on Facebook. And you can re reach out there as well. And we're pretty active and responding to, like, pr as previously stated, we care about our customers. If you reach out to us, you will get a response, usually in a very timely manner, same day uh, or less. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to help anyone I can help. Well, that's awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for being on our show. I'm sure we're going to be talking to you again. We're going to be looking for more big things, innovative things from Trojan Horse Cannabis. And uh, for those listening, uh, make sure that you uh, hit the like button, uh, subscribe, and don't forget, follow, just like uh, Chris said, follow us on social media as well. We've got a lot of great content we bring out to you. So go to Canatech today. Um, and again, it's been a real pleasure. Chris Fontes, Trojan Horse Cannabis. This is another episode of Cannabis Tech Talks. This is Charles Warner. I'll talk to you guys next time. And again, uh, thanks for chopping it up with us on Cannabis Tech Talks.